0: You're listening to The OddsCast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA odds maker, Nick Kalikas, and MMA journalist, Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting.
1: Oddsbreaker.com.
0: Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to The OddsCast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by one of MMA Oddsbreaker's elite MMA handicappers, AJ Shulo, filling in for MMA Oddsmaker Nick Kalikas to break down this Saturday's UFC 256 event, which p- takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, today, AJ and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC 256 features a 10-fight card in total, and will be aired on UFC Fight Pass, ESPN Plus, ESPN2, and Pay-Per-View this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a featherweight contest featuring Chase Hooper, who is 9-1-1, and Peter Barrett, who is 11-4. Now, I'll be uh, taking a look at the opening betting odds from Adam Martin's Opening Odds Reactions article on com, and then I'll also be providing the latest betting odds uh, just from Circus Sports. So, uh, this fight opened with Hooper minus 213, Barrett plus 246, and currently Hooper is minus 350, and Barrett is plus 261. Now, Uh, in my opinion, I think this fight is pretty competitive. Uh, Hooper got exposed a little bit in that last fight against Alex Caceres, um, which is pretty nerve wracking if you're still a Hooper fan. Um, but I think Barrett is a very winnable fight for him still. Now Barrett is talented on the feet and he's got some power, but, uh, I don't think his takedown defense is nearly as good and he doesn't have nearly as good of a ground game as Alex Caceres did. So if Hooper's able to drag this to the floor, he should be in good shape. But, uh, the one thing that does obviously concern me is if Hooper can't get this to the floor, uh, Barrett is just going to light him up on the feet. Uh, he is by far the better striker. Um, and it's not just because Barrett is like an amazing striker. It's more that Hooper is just not developed in that area at all. So if he ever is forced into a situation where he can't get the fight to the floor, um, he's going to look really, really bad. And that's exactly what happened the last time out. But I think this time around, um, Barrett is gonna be a lot easier to drag to the canvas. Um he just does not have that same, you know, slipperiness, even though the nickname slippery Pete. Uh I think that he does uh get caught with a takedown and the clinch, however Hooper is able to do it, and then he either rides out a decision win, but more often than not, I think uh Hooper wins by submission. So Hooper is gonna be my pick. Uh now what do you think on this one, AJ?
1: For this matchup, uh, like you alluded to, Hooper's wrestling is just not particularly trustworthy. He often pulls guard, and for that reason, it's just hard for him to land takedowns on a consistent basis. Uh, Like you said, though, or alluded to, rather, you know, Barrett is probably the most winnable matchup for him in the UFC. You know, we saw Barrett in that UFC debut against Yusuf Zalal, taken down, get his back taken, nearly finished there. Uh, Zalal is still fairly green in the grappling himself, Um, so... Assuming Cooper gets a fight to the ground, he can impose his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's a very good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner in top position. He's not only a submission threat, but also has very hard elbows that he showcased in that UFC debut uh, against Tamar. So if he gets this fight on the ground and gets in top position, he'll look like a massive favorite. He, if, even if he does pull guard, he does have the capability of sweeping uh Barrett, because I just don't trust uh, Barrett's uh, defensive grappling. Uh, not only did so he look susceptible uh, against the law but he's also been... Uh, submitted in a few of his losses. Uh, like you said, though, Barrett does have the advantage on the feed just based off the fact that Hooper is very raw. Barrett does have some power, so potentially he could uh, hurt Hooper. We saw Hooper hurt against Caceres and also on the Contender Series because uh, his striking his defense is just very uh, susceptible, doesn't move his head, very flat-footed, things like that. Uh, so it's a true striker versus grappler matchup here, but I do think that Hooper finds a way to get this fight to the ground and does finish the job uh, probably early on. I think Hooper gets gets back on track. Young man training with the likes of Sean O'Malley now. I think that bodes well for the optics of his career.
0: All right. Now dropping down to the women's strawweight division, we have Tisha Torres, who is 11 and five, taking on UFC newcomer Sam Hughes, who is five and one. Now the opening odds for this one, Torres opened minus 450, Hughes plus 350. And since then we've said quite a bit of steam on Torres. She is now Minus 650, and Hughes is plus 480. So uh, a lot of action coming in on Torres, and rightfully so. Now, Hughes is really talented. Like, this is not somebody that they just plucked out of thin air. You know, she fought three times in LFA, uh, including a main event. Um, Granted, she did lose that main event uh, by inverted triangle choke. But this is, you know, definitely a girl with some serious talent. Um, even though she also has more submissions in overall in all of her wins, uh, I would definitely say Hughes is more of a striker than a ground fighter. So I think this should be an entertaining stand up scrap. Um I think Hughes is pretty good in the clinch, but I mean Torres is just so good on the feet, so quick. Uh, I mean, they call her the Tiny Tornado for a reason. I mean, she looked unbelievable in her last fight. It was, you know, by far, I think, the best performance of her entire career. Um, I mean, her stand-up was so slick. I mean, she just danced circles around her opponent. Um, and she has experience against all the best fighters in the women's 115-pound uh, division, you know, across the entire class. So um, I, I really feel like... Uh, yeah. uh as good as Hughes is, this is just way too much of a step up for Hughes. Um, I think it'll be entertaining while it lasts, but I mean, I could honestly see Torres potentially finishing Hughes here, just based on her technique and speed. Even though she doesn't have a ton of pure punching power, uh, but I just think that she—it's going to be way too much of a step up in competition for Hughes, who, uh, as AJ mentioned earlier, uh, before we were when we were talking before the show, you know, hasn't faced nearly the same level of competition in the you know, first three fights of her career were against MMA newcomers.
1: So uh, I have to go Torres here. So,
0: AJ, thoughts?
1: So as it pertains to this matchup, whenever I'm assessing a fight, level of opposition isn't everything in the matchup. But when we have such a drastic uh, difference between level of opposition, I do think it's very noteworthy here. Tisha Torres, like you alluded to, has just been fighting the best of the pest, you know, former champions slash current champions, as well as a fighter in Marina Rodriguez, who, uh, very talented, promising fighter in herself, and she like you said she's coming off a very impressive win against Bri- Brianna Van Buren, where I too thought she looked excellent, you know very good combination striking her aggression, I thought defensive grappling wise she looked solid there as well. she's always been a very solid uh really talented lady that has kind of been a staple in this division for a long time now like you said Sam Hughes I do think she's talented young lady as well stepping in here on short notice I do think she has potential but where she's at in her career I just think she's a little too green uh, taking on somebody like Tisha Torres who like we said in addition to that short notice UFC debut I think Tisha Torres rolls here she's the more well-rounded fighter more proven fighter uh, I understand her being a big favorite she's going to be my pick
0: Moving back up to the Featherweight division, we have Billy Corentio, who is 15 and 2, taking on Gavin Tucker, who is 12 and 1. Now, Corentio opened minus 140, Tucker plus 120. Currently, Corentio is minus 152, Tucker plus 142. So, a little bit of steam coming in on Corentio. Um, and I think it's rightfully so. Uh, this is a really interesting matchup. Both guys have looked like studs in the UFC so far. Uh, Quarantillo has really impressed me whether it was his performances on Contender Series or since uh, picking up three straight victories, including a very entertaining performance uh, against Spike Carlyle. Um, You know, this guy has shown great conditioning, a great pace. He's shown that... Uh, he is very well rounded, both on the feet and on the ground. And I think, uh, something that's impressed me out of, with Quarantio is that he has shown that he can adapt his game plan mid-fight. So I, I like his fight IQ as well. You know, this guy is super talented. Uh, Tucker on the other hand, really dangerous, uh, coming off of a really impressive performance, uh, where he survived getting clipped from very powerful Justin Janes and then ended up choking him out. So, Uh, this guy is very dangerous if he can get a hold of you, but I think, uh, and and on the feet, Tucker's dangerous as well. You know, he is a technical, technically sound striker with pop. Um, so I think this is a very even matchup, but, um, I think it's going to be exhausting for Tucker to try to keep up with the pace that Quarantillo fights with. And I think he's going to wear him out a little bit. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see Tucker win the first round. Because we have seen Quarantillo have close rounds or even lose rounds early, but then he just pours it on. And I don't think Tucker can keep that pace up for three straight rounds. So um, maybe Tucker is able to wit- do enough to win the first two rounds and sneak out a decision. But I think more likely than anything, Tucker starts strong and Quarantillo uh, rallies and takes the decision. So Quarantillo is going to be my pick. AJ?
1: Yeah. So I'm kind of on an island with the prediction I'm going to make here. I am on Gavin Tucker. Don't get me wrong. I acknowledge Billy is very live here. Like you said, the guy's got great intangibles. He's durable. He will come forward. He has excellent cardio and he has heavy volume. We've seen that style give Tucker problems in the past. It's just one fight, but it's a, a you know, the only fight that he lost against Rick Len. Now, the thing that I would like to point out, uh, you know, comparing that fight to say the form that Tucker's in now, I actually think he's gotten a lot better in terms of just his technical proficiencies and uh, his cardio as well. Now, I understand that he's been able to control the tempo here in these two most recent fights against Choi, against Chains, and there is a legit chance that Quarantillo could be the guy that uh, controls the tempo uh should the fight go on. My issue with that, though, is there's a lot of fights, um, and even recent ones, you know, against Carlisle, for instance, where Quarantillo is losing early on, and he kind of has a comeback win. Now, granted, the guy is very tough to finish. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, as is Tucker. Uh, but it still is a concern, you know, seeing fighters put in bad spots early, um, and as a result, they need to kind of come back from a deficit. And don't get me wrong, that's always possible here. Quarantillo, like I said, he has excellent volume pressure. He can maybe even hurt Tucker on the feet. You know, we saw Tucker hurt not only by, uh, Jane's most recently, but he was also hurt by Glenn, um, in round one of their most recent fight. That was actually, or from a few years ago, years ago rather, that was actually Glenn's not uh his only down in the ufc glenn really hasn't shown to have much punching power so don't get me wrong i'm a little worried about uh the durability angle on tucker but the ultimately why i'm siding with him here is i just think he's the better technical fighter like i just like what i see out of him on the feet i know he's at a four inch reach disadvantage but i think he's the much more crisp boxer he also utilizes more varied tools you know he'll attack you with the front kick uh he'll he also has some very good feints that he can use and i also think he's the better wrestler as well um, you know, Quarantillo was taken down, uh, controlled by Spark Carlisle a bit there. You could argue that he even lost rounds one and two, uh, was taken down and controlled in round one of the, of the contender series as well. Um, and I do think that the jiu-jitsu can kind of negate each other, but I actually do think that if there's a back take to be had, it'll be Tucker getting on Quarantillo's back. We've seen Quarantillo get his back taken, and I do think that Tucker is the better pure scrambler, pure grappler of the two. Um so as far as a pick goes, I am siding here with Tucker. Don't get me wrong, I do acknowledge that Quarantillo is very live. He does bring that same type of style that Glenn does, but my caveat and why I'm ultimately siding with, with um Tucker here is as, as I just think he's much better technically than Quarantillo, and I do think that he's gotten a lot better since that Glenn fight a few years ago. So Tucker is gonna be my pick.
0: Now moving up to the lightweight division, we have Henato Moikano, who is fourteen three and one, taking on Rafael Fiziev, who is 8 and 1. Moicano opened at minus 105, Fiziev minus 115. Uh, currently Moicano is plus 125, Fiziev minus 135. So, uh, a little bit more action coming in on Fiziev, but not much. Uh, really evenly matched fight. We've got Moikano moving up a weight class, which I think is a really smart decision based on the fact that the biggest thing that's let him down so far in the featherweight division has been chin durability. Uh, he has all the skill in the world to to stand and trade with some of the best strikers, to grapple with some of the best best grapplers, but uh, he starts to slow down a little bit in the third round, and if he gets caught, he gets finished. It's happened a couple times now. So... It's something that I think uh, is a really good choice moving up a weight class. I mean, he was always a very big featherweight, and he's that size is going to translate it lightweight as well. He'll just need to fill out a little bit. So um, I think Moikano is going to be very dangerous here, but man, are they throwing him into the fire. Fiziev is a super dangerous striker. Um, on the feet, I mean, I have to side with Fiziev. I mean, this guy throws all kinds of crazy attacks, whether it's... You know, kicks, spinning attacks, you name it. Um, He has really showcased some impressive stand-up skills so far in his uh, UFC run. Uh, Most recently, he had a great performance against uh, Mark Dye Casey. You know, he's won his last two fights ever since uh, getting caught by that spinning uh, back kick against Mustafaev. Uh, Moicano, on the other hand, you know, his last time out after the the two uh, losses in a row against elite guys in Aldo and Jung... Um, he took on Hadzevich, a really dangerous striker, and he just steamrolled him. 44 seconds is all it took for him to take him down and choke him out. So um, if he can get that same level of ground game going, I mean, Fiziev is going to be in trouble. I mean, we really haven't seen Fiziev have to utilize his ground much so far because uh, he's either been taking on strikers or he's been able to keep fights upright. Um, so if Moicano can get this to the floor, it gets interesting in a hurry. But if Moicano is forced to stand, I think this is extremely interesting because, uh, I mean, Moicano is a good striker. I mean, he went toe-to-toe with Cater uh, and looked great, ended up winning a decision there. Granted, that was earlier in Cater's uh, UFC run, but still, uh, you know, this guy is clearly a talented striker. He was out pointing uh, Ortega on the feet as well, so um, I think this is extremely close, and it's Honestly, a toss up for me because uh, on the feet, I slightly lean Fiziev, but you factor in Mojcano's ground game. And honestly, I I was originally going to pick Fiziev, but I think I've talked myself into Mojcano. If that same Mojcano shows up with that killer instinct that took out Hadzevich in his last fight, I think that he can get Fiziev down and make that ground game work. I think he has a few more paths to victory. Although I am definitely nervous that Fiziev catches him along the way. So I'm going to go Moicano. AJ?
1: Interesting matchup. Um, I do side with Fiziev in terms of uh, a pick and the striking where I think the fight is going to be won or lost. I actually do think he's the better overall striker here in terms of technique. I also think he's more of a threat to finish on the fight, uh, than Moicano is. Uh, the, the Tiger Muay Thai striking coach is Hafiel Fiziev. Obviously very talented fighters trained there like Piotrian, Mirbach Mirbek Tysonov. Et cetera, et cetera. So uh very good feather in his cap. Um, like you brought up, you know, the the unknown is is very interesting in terms of the submission grappling. You know, we really haven't seen Fizze yet be put on his back, certainly not against uh, a black belt on the level of Moicano, who has looked tremendous on the ground when he has been given those opportunities, more so a striker first. But like you said, should that opportunity present itself, should Moicano get in top position on Fiziev, that could get really, really interesting because I would, you know, be willing to expect that Moicano is much better there than Fiziev. Now that said, um, Moicano doesn't have the greatest wrestling. We typically see him get takedowns from the body lock. Uh, Fiziev, we haven't seen his defensive wrestling tested super often, but the glimpses we've seen, uh, against G, Casey and White, it's looks solid. Um Also has a combat song about that combat sambo background. So I'm willing to say that, you know, more than likely he's able to keep the fight standing where I do favor him. Again, more technical, more dangerous. Moicano, don't get me wrong, he's not going to be in serious trouble there. I don't think we've seen him outstrike very talented strikers in Calvin Cater in the past. Also Jeremy Stevens, he's very good at point fighting on the outside, attacking the legs. He's got good technical striking himself. Good straight punches. He's also going to be the longer fighter in here as well as Moicano. So don't get me wrong. I think Mo- Moicano could, could hang around with Fiziev on the feet, but I do think that Fiziev here, uh, better striking, uh, you know, more technical and more dangerous is going to edge him, uh, the fight here, whether it's by finish or whether it's by decision.
0: Now dropping back down to the featherweight division, we have Cub Swanson, who is 26 and 11, taking on Daniel Pineda, who is 27 and 13. Um, This fight opened with Swanson minus 110, Pineda minus 110, pure pick'em. And currently, right now, we have uh, Pineda minus 155, Swanson plus 145. So a lot more action coming in on Pineda, and I think rightfully so uh, Swanson clearly looks like he's in a decline. Um, you know, he was one of the best fighters in the world at 145 and he struggled. Now, granted, I think a big part of that has been a brutal strength of schedule. Um, you look at who he lost to during that four fight losing streak and it was Ortega currently, you know, the number two guy at 145, Edgar, former lightweight champ and one of the top guys at 145, Moicano, Another elite 145er who is now moving up and Shane Burgos. And that fight was a close split decision, gave him all that he could handle. Uh, and that was a close fight. So, uh, you know, he showed that he can, uh, still fight with the, that last win over Cron Gracie as underdog. So, uh, he does still have something left in the tank, but is it enough to beat Pineda who returned to the UFC in incredible fashion? Um, uh, scoring a huge upset over Herbert Burns, who had a a lot of hype behind him, the the brother of Gilbert Burns. Um, Pineda has uh, the much more dangerous ground game here. Swanson's better on the feet, but is Swanson that much better on the feet than Pineda is better than Swanson on the ground? That's really what it boils down to for me. Um, I think part of it is... And is Swanson's decline as bad as we thought? I mean, again, he had a very close fight with Shane Burgos, who is a top guy at 145. Um, so maybe, you know, Swanson's decline is a little overrated. Um, but uh, I still think that you look at how Cub Swanson loses. And out of uh, his 11 career losses, I think five of them were in the UFC by submission. So, and that's kind of Pineda's bread and butter is getting guys to the floor, beating them up on the canvas and tapping them out. So if Pineda can get that ground game going, I think it's only a matter of time before he uh, puts Swanson away. But uh, if he can't, uh, you know, Pineda could slow down, absolutely. And Swanson could take over. Um, We've kind of seen that where Pineda, Blitz his guys, and if it doesn't work, he can get himself in a little bit of trouble. So I'm gonna go Pineda. I think that he does, uh, still have enough to, uh, drag this down to the floor and make something happen, whether it's by TKO or by submission on the canvas. But uh, again, we could be completely underestimating Cubs Swanson here. I know that he's like 37 or 38 years old, and that is like 50 in featherweight years, but uh, you know, Pineda's no spring chicken him either. Both of these guys have fought about the same time, as or about as often overall in their careers, but Swanson has just fought significantly better competition over the course of his career. So don't discount the competition level that Swanson has fought at. So I'm going Pineda, but there's not a lot of confidence there.
1: AJ. Very interesting matchup. I think like whoever's able to get their game off is going to look like the favorite. What I mean by that is on the feet, I favor Swanson. I think he's going to look like the favorite there. Better striker, more season, more technical, better volume. Uh, don't get me wrong. I don't think Pineda is going to be in serious trouble there. He's a capable striker himself. Uh, and Swanson really hasn't shown to, to hurt many people these days with his, uh, with his striking. Hasn't had a knockout here since, uh, you know, several years now. But, uh, you know, what it boils down to me is like, I think that, you know, Pineda could get this fight to the ground, um, and potentially get his game going. He will look like the favorite there. Uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Black Bells Pineda, as is Swanson. But the thing with Swanson, as we, um, you know, revisited before is, you know, he's been submitted in a lot of his losses. Uh, seven out of his 11 losses, uh, pro losses, that is, have come, uh, via submission. And I am worried about the regression, you know, 37 years of age. Like you said, Pineda is very experienced, uh, 35 years of age himself, but just, the way they've been respectively performing. I know that the level of opposition is definitely something that is noteworthy, but I'm seeing Cubs slow down in fights as early as round two. That's part of the reason why the Crone Gracie fight was as competitive as it was. Fight of the night, even though Cub clearly won, Crone was able to land on him, you know, despite being so much less experienced, uh, just the, uh, the far inferior striker on paper was able to get off on Cub, land some solid volume as the fight progressed. We even saw him kind of slow down against Shane Burgos there. the the uh, previous fight, so I am kind of worried about that, along with uh, his layoff here. It's been about a year since we've seen him fight, coming off an ACL injury uh, from his grappling bout with with Jake Shields. So there's a lot of like intangible slash like things that I've been seeing inside the octagon with Swanson that make me ultimately side with Pineda here, and I also just think that Pineda is kind of coming into his own. You know, I know that uh, Herbert Burns isn't as proven as say some of these fighters that Swanson has been fighting and being very competitive with. Uh, but I just like the fact that, you know, if Pineda is able to get his grappling going here, I really do feel like he can impose uh, that threat and actually be a, a threat to finish Cub on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um So I kind of see that, like your earlier point, is Pineda, I think, is a, uh, a bigger threat to Cub on the ground than Cub is to Pineda on the feet. That's ultimately why I'm going to side with Pineda here.
0: Excellent. Now, moving all the way up to the heavyweight division and kicking off the pay-per-view main card. We have former champion Junior Dos Santos, who is 21 and 8, taking on Cyril Gane, who is 6 and 0. Now this fight opened with Gane minus 270, Dos Santos plus 230. Currently, Gane is minus 380, Dos Santos now plus 340. So, uh, again, more action coming in on the favorite and I think rightfully. So, um Gane, while he has not faced somebody the caliber of Junior dos Santos so far in his career, this seems like that perfect time to step up his level of competition. Um you know, Gane has looked like an absolute beast so far, an unstoppable machine inside the octagon and um, you know he's had a lot of fights canceled and they've been trying to uh, build him up uh and get him in there against somebody and again this is by far the the most dangerous fighter he's ever faced but uh dos santos is very beatable right now i mean this guy is coming off three losses in a row all three times he's been finished in pretty violent fashion um, he's been finished uh in almost every single one of his career losses and the one time he didn't get finished, it was one of the biggest beatings anyone's ever taken in a fight. So uh it just does not look bode well here for Junior Dos Santos, in my opinion. I think uh Gane is as good of a technical striker as Dos Santos, except he can take it. And Dos Santos just can't anymore. I think Gane also is more dangerous on the ground. We've seen him showcase a few uh, sneaky moves on the canvas with uh, some heel hooks, some arm triangles, some ground and pound. Uh, we really, with Dos Santos, it's pretty much boxing or bust and a little bit of uh, a kicking game. So I think on the feet, it'll be competitive, but Gane is going to be uh, more durable. And I think just as dangerous and I think on the ground, if Gane can uh, get a hold of him, he could also put Dos Santos in some trouble. So I'm going to go Gane. I think that he does get that highlight reel or, or career defining victory that kind of propels him into uh, contention. Um, and I think uh, he does it in impressive fashion.
1: AJ. It's a very interesting matchup. Obviously, it's like a a prospect versus veteran, classic type of matchup here. And one might say, well, why is Ghan such a big favorite here, despite a massive step up in competition, facing the former UFC champion, Junior Dos Santos? And it's because it just he's a really bad style matchup for Dos Santos. I mean, at this stage, he's quicker than Dos Santos. He's got four inches of reach. Ghan is just a really tough guy to deal with. I mean, I know his record says 6-0, and but this is a guy, when you actually see him in the octagon, he has all the talent, all the tools. He is a serious prospect, and I think a guy that as we see his career develop, he will be a, a title contender. I mean, this guy comes from a, a very strong striking background. Like you said, he's also got a grappling, uh, you know, grappling games that he's working in, you know, in terms of like his takedowns, uh, his submission game. But mainly he's kind of looked to strike here because DeSantos uh, has shown very good, uh, you know, footwork and takedown defense in the past. We even saw Curtis Blade struggle to take him down. So I think it's going to be one or lost in the feet where, again, I just favor the, you know, the striking of God. I just think that he's a hard guy to deal with and that he's longer than a lot of these guys. You know, he's very good at, you know, sticking and moving on the outside. He's able to utilize the straight punches and be quick enough and smart enough to, you know, not t- throw too many combinations so you can't counter him uh, after he lands on you, you know, despite the the high pedigree that Dos Santos has. And don't get me wrong. I think that Dos Santos technically and athletically has still have those tools intact. But like we've seen these last three fights, he's been getting finished um at a high clip, and, and Gon does possess power. I know he's coming off a decision win here against Boser, but Boser is super durable, and even in that fight, Gon was able to rock Boser in round two. Uh, he has been showcasing more of his submission skills in the UFC, but the dude is a legit knockout threat, uh, a serious striker, is he's also got some varied and crafty tools, hard body kick, uh, so I would not be surprised to see him hurt uh, not only to Santos to the head, but also the body. I just think this guy is a super legit prospect and one that I'm excited to see him uh, move his way up the ranks here.
0: Now, dropping down to the middleweight division, we have Kevin Holland, who is 20 and five, taking on Jacare Souza, who is 26 and eight. Now, Holland opened minus 175, Jacare plus 135. Currently, Holland is plus 100 underdog. And Jacare is minus 110. So the public has definitely come in on the underdog and actually flipped the line. Um, And I don't agree. Um, Basically, Jacare Souza, as great as he was, um, he just has not looked the same in years. Um, You know, at one point, this guy, in my opinion, was the uncrowned champion at 185 in the UFC. Um, I mean, you could have absolutely argued that he deserved to uh you know get that title shot that and potentially be champion when uh you know in the era of Michael Bisping, but it just didn't happen. I think he would have beat bisping would have been the champ during that era, but since then um we've seen um him get finished by Robert Whitaker we've seen him lose to kelvin Gastelum. we've seen him lose uh take a beating to Jack Hermanson most recently and then also lost to the current champ uh Jan Blakowicz moving up a weight class. Um, and it's just it's tough, you know, the guy's 41 years old and he has always been one of the most athletic specimens and you know athletic freaks in the division or in the UFC in general. Um, but he's just not the same guy. He doesn't have that same speed. He doesn't have that cardio. He doesn't have that same durability. He still has power. He's still dangerous. We've seen him knock out, uh, you know, Derek Brunson and Chris Weidman, um, in the past couple of years. But uh, other than that, I just think that he's just not quite at that same level anymore. I mean, he has an elite ground game, but he doesn't have elite wrestling, so I think it's going to be difficult for him to take advantage of some potential deficiencies that Holland has on the ground. Uh, when Holland has struggled, it has been against guys with good ground games, but it's been more wrestlers, not just pure Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys. So on the feet, uh, Souza has a puncher's chance here, but Holland is, uh, I think the more technical striker. I think Holland, you know, he's, he's longer, taller. I think he's much more dangerous. He's quicker. He's he's just at a better point in his career. He's catching Souza at a really good time. Uh Souza's also, you know, recovering from uh COVID-19. So I think uh you know, Holland is potentially just going to light him up in this fight. And I think the longer it goes, the worse it gets for Souza. And realistically, uh the best chance for Souza is him getting this to the floor. And I just don't see him easily able to do that. Uh, now, Holland could get in trouble if, you know, he slips and falls or if there is a perfect window for Sousa to score a takedown and put him in some trouble on the canvas. But, you know, I just think on the feet, Holland is going to be picking Jacare apart and it's only going to get worse. The longer this goes as Jacare's chin starts to fail him and his conditioning starts to fail him. So I'm going to go with Holland. I think uh, he wins by knockout potentially in the first or maybe second round. AJ?
1: One of the trickier fights to call on the card, I think, similar to Swanson and Pineda, I think whoever's able to get off on their game here is going to look like a pretty solid favorite. Um, and with that, you know, if, if this matchup was, was booked and Kevin Holland was still 28 years of age and Ke- uh, Jacare Sosa was in his prime, this would be a bad, bad style matchup for Holland. But that's not the case. Uh, like we see here, Holland is 13 years younger than Souza. You mentioned Souza is coming in here off the layoff. Uh, he's now 41 years of age now. Holland's got a massive reach advantage. I do favor him on the feet as well. He's more technical. He's got the more varied tools. Uh, he'll be quicker as well. Uh has got power, we know that, but uh Holland's never been knocked out. He I haven't really seen him get uh hurt in the octagon. I mean he was out there uh clowning around with Tiago Santos, who nobody's really been able to do that, right? So um, pretty interesting dynamic there. So I definitely favor Holland on the feet for those reasons. Now where it could get interesting is if Jockere is able to take uh Holland down. We've seen Holland taken down in a lot of fights. Uh so Holland, that has been his clear susceptibility. He's been taken down, he's been controlled, and we've even seen him finished uh like against Brendan Allen. You know, we saw him taken down several times by Jira Mirchard, controlled there, almost finished. Uh we saw him taken down as recently as two fights ago against Darren Stewart, controlled, uh almost finished in round three. The ref was was telling him to fight back. So it's it's definitely a concern on paper, and that's why it is such a bad style matchup for him on paper if Souza was in his prime, because Soza is an excellent grappler, a very high level Brazilian Jiu Jitsu practitioner. And he's also got the judo background to back it up. Uh, for the, the threat of the takedown. Uh, my issue with that though is again, like we say, the speed of Holland could potentially pose problems for Jock Ray closing that distance. And we talk about the length. Holland does utilize good technical straight punches. I think he could keep Sosa at bay, just like we saw Hermanson and Wyman do. Um, if Wy, uh, if Sosa is able to clinch with Holland, I think he can maybe drag him down. Uh, but just his lack of efficiency as a wrestler in these recent fights, I know it's the better defensive wrestlers than, than Holland, but he still, you know, been very inefficient with his wrestling in these recent fights. You know, he's, again, he's fighting guys like Hermanson, Wyman, Gastelum, Lahovitz all guys that I do think personally have stronger takedown defense than Kevin Holland does. Uh, but it is still, it does still give me concern. I do think that Holland's much closer to his prime, uh, even if, you know, so is, is certainly more proven. I am not debating that at all. Uh, so as far as a pick goes, I'm going to side here with Holland. I just trust him a bit more, but don't get me wrong. If Soza is able to get off on his game, if he gets in top position one time on Holland, that could be the fight. Again, I, I do not like what I've seen out of, off of uh, Holland's back. He's a black belt under Travis Luter, but we've just seen him get his guard pass. Like we said, we've seen him get finished, almost finished in other fights, mounted. Uh, I just don't trust Holland's defensive grappling. So it is a pick on Holland, but it is a hesitant pick nonetheless.
0: Now dropping all the way down to the women's strawweight division, we have Mackenzie Dern, who is 9 and 1, taking on Virna Jandaroba, who is 16 and 1. Dern opened minus 156, the comeback on Jandaroba plus 129. Currently, Dern is minus 175, with the comeback on Jandaroba plus 160. Now, uh, I think that's Kind of right. I mean, you look at these girls, I think personally, they have the two best ground games in the women's strawweight division. Both are just absolutely lethal on the canvas with submissions, with uh scrambling, pure grappling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu skills. Um, I would say Jandaroba has a little bit better ability to take the fight to the floor, a little bit better pure wrestling, but uh Dern is a world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor. So, you do not want to screw around with her on the ground for extended periods of time, even if she is the one on her back, potentially. Um, I just think that there's too many things she can do. You saw that uh pretty recently when, um you know, she, her opponent looked to take her down and she just latched onto an, a, a leg and just tapped him out. I mean, it was brutal. So uh, this is a girl that has just devastating finishing ability on the canvas and on the feet. Um, I think Dern actually could get the better of Jandaroba's standing, and I think that that's really where her being the betting favorite is coming into play here. Um, Jandaroba is decent on the feet, but she doesn't really have a lot of confidence in her stand-up. She's not a, a really powerful, dangerous striker. Um, Dern isn't the most technical striker, uh, not at all. I mean, that you saw that in her loss, but... Um, She has power. I mean, we've seen her drop people on the feet. So she has confidence in her stand-up. Um, and I think that she is t- making some strides in that stand-up. So uh for however long this fight stays standing, I think it'll be Dern that is taking control of the center of the cage, be the one pressing the action, will be the aggressor, the one throwing with volume. And you'll have Jandaroba fighting off of her back foot, and she's just not technical enough to pot shot her way to a points victory off of her back foot. So if Jandaroba wins, I think she's going to actually have to force this fight to the canvas and try to ride out top position without getting caught in a scramble or submission. And I just don't like the odds of that happening consistently enough for her to, to win. So I'm going to go, uh, Dern. I think that she probably wins a decision here based on aggression on the feet.
1: AJ? It's a very interesting booking. Like you said, they're very high level submission grapplers, uh, both high level black belts. And you know, I think, like you said, there is a legit chance that you know, we might not even see uh, very many grappling exchanges, at least on the ground. Uh, I do favor Vern in terms of the wrestling, like you said. And there's a just a very legit chance that he just she just chooses to keep the fight standing. I could see a scenario where maybe the, the striking is kind of 50-50 on the feet and Verna kind of takes Dern down with like 30 seconds left to kind of just seal off around. We saw that not too long ago with like Eubanks and uh, uh, Caitlin Vieira. Um, so I could kind of see that happening. But in terms of the striking and purely strikers, but I actually do favor Dern there. Uh, I, I don't think either woman is like a great technical striker at this stage, but I do see improvements in, Dern, in Dern's striking. I think she's more comfortable on the feet. I also like her her volume, her pressure, and her power. Like you said, so based off those optics, her just coming forward, throw, throwing the the more impactful shots. I think that should be able to edge her there. Um, if we do get some jujitsu exchanges, like I say, I just I really do think that it, neither woman is really capable of finishing the other. We have seen both women. Go out there and finish fights on a very frequent basis, but going against each other, we see this often, uh, with high level black belts in an actual MMA octagon. We typically don't see them finish each other unless, let's say one fighter's like rocked from a punch on the feet and they're able to, uh, you know, kind of club and sub them on the ground, if you will, like we saw Paul Craig do to Vinicius Mohea. That was a, you know, that's way back. That's about a year ago now, but you know, just an example. So I do think that more than likely, uh, the grappling is kind of basically neutralize each other out. I wouldn't really expect any guard subs, wouldn't expect any kind of significant guard passing in top position or or certainly not a stoppage. So in that fight, I do you think that it's going to mainly be won or lost in the striking? Where, like we say, Dern, I think she's got it. Uh, striking is coming along. And the work with Perillo, I think it's going to pay off.
0: Now, moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the lightweight division, we have Tony Ferguson, who is 25 and 25-4, taking on Charles Oliveira, who is 29 and 29-8. Ferguson opened minus 130. The come back on Oliveira plus 110. Currently, Ferguson is minus 165 and Oliveira plus 145. So a little bit more action coming in on Ferguson. And I understand it. I mean, in terms of pure overall skill, um, you have to side with Tony Ferguson. I mean, the guy has great striking power, durability. Um, he's got an... A strong ground game, good wrestling, really good submissions, incredible submission defense, never really been put in danger. Um The only thing that he's ever really been in trouble with is he's eaten some shots over the course of his career, and obviously he is coming off of a performance where he got blasted by Justin Gaethje over the course of five rounds, eventually getting finished in the fifth round. So... That's the only thing I'm really nervous about, because in terms of skill, he should just be good enough to beat um, Charles Oliveira here. Um, I mean, I think that he can knock Oliveira out. I think he could survive the early rush of Oliveira and then take him out as Oliveira starts to slow down. There's just way more paths to victory here for Tony Ferguson. Now Oliveira is super dangerous. I mean, in terms of offensive submissions, I believe he does have the most submissions of any fighter in UFC history, even more than like Demian Um In terms of stand up, his striking has come a long way. He is now uh, almost as dangerous on the feet as he was on the gr- is he on the ground with uh, some of these impressive uh, knockouts he's picking up uh, in the the lightweight division. Um, i mean this guy is becoming a really dangerous well-rounded fighter but um you still have to look and see that when Char- charles oliveira does not get uh the way get what he wants you know he's a bit of a front runner um and when he is not dominating uh he gets dominated you saw that uh, in his performance against Max Holloway, um, just practically gave up with that like weird kind of neck shoulder injury. You saw it happen in the Anthony Pettis fight, where he started strong, and then Pettis just turned the tables on him and tapped him out. You saw it in the Lamas fight, and then most recently, you saw it in the Paul Felder fight, uh, where he started really good, but couldn't put Felder away. Felder turns the tides on him, and then ground and pounds him late in the second round. Now, since then, he's been amazing. I mean, he is just crushing fools. Um, and then obviously the, the big win was most recent, the, the win over Kevin Lee, but, uh, he's been looking amazing. So he absolutely could pull this off if Tony Ferguson is diminished. Uh, but I think it's a hypothetical here because Tony Ferguson is still one of the best fighters in the world. And as long as that loss to Justin Gaethje didn't take too much out of him, I think that he has more than enough left in the tank to to survive Oliveira's best shot and then put him away. That's kind of what he does. So I wouldn't be shocked to see Oliveira look good early, but can he take Tony Ferguson out in the first round and a half? Because if he doesn't, I just see Tony Ferguson turning it on him and eventually taking Oliveira out. So uh, Tony Ferguson is going to be my pick. AJ?
1: Yeah, so like you pointed out, Oliveira does have a clear path to victory. I think he can maybe win early. He's shown to be a potent finisher, both uh, in the striking. Uh, he's a good technical striker. He's got some power more um, on the ground. He's a very dangerous submission threat. He holds th- that record in the UFC. The thing, though, with Oliveira is if he doesn't get those quick finishes, I do think that he's going to struggle here. Um, you pointed out the Felder fight, the Llamas fight, the Pettis fight. There's been plenty of examples Um Obviously, he overcame a little bit of adversity. Uh, certainly against David Taylor, he he was actually dropped there uh, from an opening exchange or one of the opening exchanges, and then came out to win. Also, we saw him overcome a bit of adversity against Kevin Lee. Uh, that said, this is just a different style matchup, in my opinion. You know, like we pointed out, you know, unless if you know this this Gaethje fight has really taken a toll on Ferguson. I actually think he's he's got quite a bit of advantages here. I, I like his pace, his pressure. He has excellent cardio. We've seen him go out there, go five rounds at Mexico City altitude against Rafael Dos Anjos and land you know close to 200 significant strikes. And we've seen Olivera slow down as the fight progresses. He typically actually slows down around two. I know he's coming off a, a third round win here against Kevin Lee at Brazilian Brazil altitude. Uh, that's nice, but uh, you know that was in the early part of the round, very earlier part. Uh, he was fresh off the stool, six, 60 seconds of rest. Lee left his neck out for a guillotine. Lee was gas himself. He got the choke. So, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Oliver. That's a very impressive win, a huge feather in his cap. But I do think that if he can't find a, the finish here early against Tony, I do think that Tony's pace pressures can eventually wear on Oliver. You know, we've seen uh, Tony go out there and just nonstop pressure in your face. The guy has endless cardio. And I, I just think that based off the cardio dynamic here and based off the fact that even though Tony is coming off this you know, bad beating against Gaethje, unless if it's really hurt his durability, he has generally shown to be a guy that has a very good chin. He gets rocked in a lot of fights, not just the Gaethje fight against Benada Johnson, if you want to go way back, Trujillo, but the dude always recovers. He generally is very durable, and he generally is very tough to finish on the ground. You know, he's a high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, has not been submitted since 2009. So again, unless if he has significantly regressed since the Gaethje fight, I just think he's got this. I think that the pace, the pressure is going to eventually get to Oliveira. And I think it could be even Tony that gets a finish here um, should the fight go on. Cause like you pointed out, you know, he was finished on the ground by Felder. He was finished uh via submission by Lamas and Pettis. So I would not put it past Tony here to get a finish on the ground, whether it's by TKO or by submission himself.
0: Dropping down to the flyweight division for the main event of the evening, we have a title fight featuring the champion, Davison Figueredo, who is 20 and one, taking on Brandon Moreno, who is 18, five and one. The champ opened as a minus 275 betting favorite with the comeback on Moreno plus 235. Currently, Figueredo is minus 325 with the comeback on Moreno plus 250. I think, uh, it might be a little uneven in terms of the action coming in on Figueredo. Um, Moreno is crazy talented and the guy has, uh, some very unique, uh, unorthodox techniques that I think could potentially fluster Figueredo. But all things considered, Figueiredo has looked like an absolute world beater so far um, since he's really started being in that title mix. Um, the performances against Benavidez uh, were unbelievable, and then uh, he just steamrolled Perez in his last fight, uh, even with Perez being the one stepping in on short notice. I mean, it was an incredible performance. I mean, this guy looks like he could be the champ for a long time. Um The stand up is there, the power is there, and now, something that was a little bit shaky, something that, you know, he got exposed with in his one loss to, uh, Formiga, his ground game looks elite. I mean, we're, we're seeing him put people away on the canvas now. Uh, two fights in a row, he's picked up, uh, technical submissions against, uh, Benavidez and now against Perez. So, uh, Figueredo has the complete package. Now Moreno does have a lot of power and I mean, he has some sneaky skills with his wrestling, with his ground game as well, but I'm just concerned here that he does not really have any one area that he's better than Figueredo at. I think, I think Figueredo is going to be faster. I think he's going to be more technical. I think he's going to be more powerful. I think he can take a shot. Um, even if Moreno lands something nasty, I mean, I still think that Figueredo is going to eat it and keep coming forward. So um Moreno deserves this opportunity. I mean, he just put on a great showing to get this uh, opportunity for the belt. And it's amazing that they've had such a quick turnaround. I mean, literally, they just fought both of them um, in the uh last pay-per-view. <laughs> I mean, and, and then they're turning around and headlining this pay-per-view, which is just crazy. But uh, I just still think that Figueredo, I mean, it's going to be a while, I think, until Figueroa loses that that belt. And I just don't think that Moreno is going to be the one to do it. Maybe if Moreno can get his wrestling going and somehow get top position and keep Figueredo down. But I just don't think his ground game is good enough to do that. It looked good against Roy Val, but... I just don't think it'll be good enough here. So my pick is going to be Figueredo.
1: AJ? Yeah. Moreno poses some interesting threats in that, you know, he's never been finished. He's a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. We saw him tangle on the ground with Formiga just fine. I actually thought he fared better on the ground with Formiga than, than Figueredo did. Um, and he's, he's shown to be tough to hurt on the feet. You know, he's never been knocked out. Uh, granted, he was, uh, hurt briefly by Car Car of Car- Car- France and, uh, Uh, There was another, there was another fight as well, but, uh, you know, he, he has shown the, uh, ability to kind of recover promptly, which is an interesting threat. It's an interesting matchup. You know, like I, I have made money betting on Moreno, these pat these three most recent fights, right Bell for France, but there's not enough for me to favor him here. I mean, there's not really any, you know, part of this matchup where he really jumps off the page at me. Like he's so much better than Figueredo. Like you pointed out, Figueredo, a high level black belt. He's definitely a threat on the ground. Uh, you know, his get up game is, is there at times. You know, obviously we saw him controlled by Brooks and, um, Formiga, but with that said, I, I just don't think that Moreno has the top game of those guys. He doesn't have the wrestling, uh, the wrestling threat. So I think Moreno, we're going to see like a striking battle where I think that, you know, don't get me wrong. I think Moreno's boxing has come a long way. He used to be actually very hitable on the feet. That was exposed in the, the Pettis and Pantoja fight. I actually think his defense has gotten a lot better, but he still kind of leaves his chin up. Um and which could bode well uh you know, bode well for Farmiga or uh Figueredo, excuse me, in terms of the power counters that it'd be landing. So I think it's gonna be like this optics fight where Moreno is going to be coming forward a bit more, landing more volume, but Figueredo is going to be looking to counter landing the more powerful strikes. Figueredo gauges distance so well. And it could kind of look like the Pantoja fight where like maybe, yeah, maybe Moreno is able to kinda hang on and survive, but you know, Figueroa hurts him. He's able to knock him down, and that's what swings the swings the rounds because he's just landing the more meaningful blows. So I consider Moreno, you know, a live do- a live underdog despite the wide odds. I do think he's a, a stiffer test for Figueroa than say Perez was. That might sound obvious to some because Perez is coming off a loss. But you know, when we were going into that fight with Perez, Perez had been finished. Uh, more than once, not just in the UFC, but on the regional scene as well, by that very same choke that Figueredo got. So don't get me wrong, I do think that Figueredo is a legit threat to finish this fight, but it does pose um, an interesting set of, of tools that Moreno poses in terms of the toughness, the durability, the well-roundedness. So I'm going to side with Figueredo here, but though I do consider Moreno a live dog, should he win this fight, he can maybe be the busier fighter as the fight progresses. We have seen Figueredo slow down in the pants, uh, referencing that Pantoja fight again. So uh, a, a true fight where I do think that it's going to come down to power in Figurato versus the volume striking from Moreno, Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to favor here, uh, uh, to win.
0: Excellent. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC 256. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOB Premium on Twitter because that's where we'll post it first. We can also, uh, check out the free bets section on MMAOddsBreaker.com on the top tab. Um. remember, check out MMA Odds Breaker Premium, particularly AJ Betts. He does have several bets now. How many bets you got for this card so far tonight?
1: Oh, I believe uh six.
0: Okay, he's got six bets for UFC 256 available in his package on MMAOddsBreaker.com. You could also buy a subscription to, and get all of his bets for a month six months, you name it, a year, that's all available at a good discount on MMAOddsBreaker.com in the MMAOddsBreaker Premium section. So good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.